Hi everyone, it's producer Annabelle here. Before we get into this episode of Shameless, just a little reminder, in 2021, we're switching things up a bit. On Mondays, you'll be hearing intimate in-conversation episodes with influential people we love, and on Thursdays, Mish and Zara will be analysing all things pop culture. Enjoy this episode with the awesome Taylor Demir, and keep an eye out, or ear out, I guess, for the girls on Thursday. Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our gal Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about, and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship, and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th, so grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you, and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. It was six weeks. Like, that's not this is the person I'm going to marry. And yes, it felt like that being trapped in a little bubble at the time, but then coming out and realizing that I felt so much more heartbreak over past relationships that I looked at this as, you know what, you're nothing, like get away from me. And I wasn't going to give him that satisfaction either of even experiencing a heartbreak over someone like that. Like if you were that manipulative and need so much reassurance from the Australian public that you are amazing, well, then you're not even the person I would have fallen for anyway. So it was just, yeah, it wasn't heartbreak. Welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with the delightful Taylor Demir. You may know Taylor from her time on Love Island Season 1 where she fell in love, won the reality show and promptly found out her boyfriend, the one she won beside, actually had a girlfriend on the outside the entire time. Now, with an Instagram following of more than half a million, Taylor Demir has proven to be so much more than her Love Island experience and the drama that ensued in the weeks after. Yes, we talk about the sugary stuff like how does one even find themselves applying for the show and how did she actually find out Grant Crap had a girlfriend sitting at home the whole time. But also, we go deeper into Taylor's struggles with her mental health and why her first business venture is something so close to her heart. Taylor is so genuine and down-to-earth and honest, and we cannot wait for you to hear this chat. Here's Taylor. 
Kayla Demir, welcome to Shameless In Conversation, our first episode back for 2021. How are you going? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm really good, thank you. I've had some beautiful time off, spent some time with my family over in Perth. You look very glowy, actually. You can tell you've had some time off work, even via video link. How long have you had off? Oh my goodness. I have been in Perth since July last year and it's just been a whirlwind of a time. But it's been really nice to have that downtime and get back to kind of the pace of Perth, I guess. It's a lot slower than Melbourne and Sydney always were. So it's been really nice to have that downtime, but I'm definitely ready to get back and up and going and into the new year. Taylor, what were you like as a kid? We tend to like asking that question to see if there are many parallels between who you were when you were a kid and who you are now. That's a really good question. I think I'm quite, I have very similar personality traits still to when I was a child in terms of I don't like sitting still. I was that kid that could go from a play date from nine to five, come home and then want to have a friend for a sleepover. I just hated having any downtime, any time to myself. I just was always up and going. I think I've been able to manage the temper tantrums I used to throw as a child, which is really good. And I was just very active. I loved dancing, singing. I used to have the little karaoke machine and I would take it with me everywhere because I wanted to be center of attention. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Talk to us about being a teenager then. You have said before that you realized that you were really struggling with anxiety in high school. Did any parts of your personality personality change when you kind of got to that awkward teenager phase? Yeah, I think definitely. Even like I was just saying, I used to have the temper tensions as a kid and that's obviously very normal for kids to have. But I think it was always triggered by an underlying anxiety that would give me that kind of temper tension. For instance, most kids would get sent to their room and they would kind of be okay with that. But I had this overwhelming fear of I'm going to be left in this room by myself I have no one in here someone help me and then this tantrum would just evolve and I'd be banging down doors so I think for me it was something that I had as a child and then I just didn't know how to vocalize that until I was in my teens and then I kind of realized that I'm getting so much more worked up about exams or I'm getting so much more worked up about having to go to a party with a whole lot of people than my friends are and why do I feel all these emotions, but nobody else does. And I think it was kind of at that stage when even my friends were pointing out to me, like, what's wrong with you? Why are you Why are you acting like this? Why do you have so much emotion towards this situation? It's not that big of a deal. It's a, it's a spelling test, like get over it, that I kind of realized there must be a lot more going on. How did you start articulating that to the people around you? Like, how did you start saying, I think something is not quite right here? Yeah. So I think the actual first phrase I kind of used to my mum was I think I'm possessed and she was like what do you mean and I was like I have this thing in me and I don't know how to control it sometimes and it's like this person just takes over but I honestly feel like I I have this thing in me and she was like what and I was like I I know I'm not demonized but I honestly feel as though there is like this just bubbling, 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 and then it just comes out. And she was like, okay, well, that's probably something we should go talk to someone about or look into more. So it was kind of from there. It wasn't really that initial understanding of what anxiety even was. I I honestly had no idea what anxiety was. No one had ever really spoken to me about it. I didn't know anybody with it. And yeah, it was more just that that description of I'm out of control of my body. I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience. 
It's so interesting to me, Taylor, that you talk about this kind of rage or I don't mean to get angry at you, I don't mean to spill over and then snap people's heads off. Anyway, I think anger and fury is a side of anxiety that is so often unexplored. And as someone with anxiety myself, there have been instances across my life where my anxiety and panic attacks have really manifested like rage attacks. And I wrote in our book earlier this year that I've broken things, that I've smashed things on the floor when I'm mid-panic attack. So can you speak to that for a second? I mean, I don't know if I've misinterpreted what you were saying, but is anger something that you were very closely feeling when you have had a panic attack in the past? Yeah, definitely. And I think for me also growing up, I'm half Lebanese. So in our family, the culture is to be very strong and very strong-minded. And when we have an opinion, it's it's very opinionated. And I think for me growing up, it was kind of that, well, I don't want to show that I'll cry. So I'd rather show that I can get angry and people are more scared of that than seeing me vulnerable and crying. So I think I kind of manifested it myself into an anger rather than releasing and crying and showing that I was so vulnerable at that point in time. What about as you got older? Did it sort of always manifest in anger or did it always manifest in that sort of social anxiety you touched on or did it kind of change as you got older? I think as I got older, I obviously realised that there's the repercussions of getting angry and you can't be doing that all the time. So it definitely did change. It became sort of more I would remove myself from situations. So rather than having the anger and just have it out with someone, I just wouldn't talk to them for a week because it would just build built up anxiety and then it would be the fear of having to talk to them because I just ignored them for so long. So I think for me it, it's kind of manifested itself into so many different forms now, but I'm able to understand it. And one of the biggest things that kind of took a toll was my body itself because when I'm holding in that anxiety my body is holding in that stress and it came out in different food intolerances it came out in bloating it came out in bad skin at one stage and there was a point where I was literally losing my voice every month for about two weeks at a a point in time because I was holding it in and I wasn't saying what I wanted to say because I went from here I'll just overexert myself and yell at you otherwise I'll just say nothing And it kind of just, there was no balance and I just didn't know how to control that until I went and did a course called Life Skills Australia. And it was through that, that I really started to understand my anxiety more and how you learn the life skills to deal with it, I guess. And you learn the life skills of other people and how they respond to your anxiety. So for instance, some people might actually understand if I just sit there and go, I have anxiety, this is how I'm feeling. But then other people they don't know enough about it for me to be able to just say that. I have to actually tell them I'm feeling this, I've got sweaty palms, I'm feeling like I can't breathe and really break it down for them. So just learning, yeah, what my triggers are, I guess, and then how other people can kind of respond to the situation at the same time. Something you've begun discussing, particularly on social media more recently, is your relationship with your body and how that's changed across the course of your 20s. Can you talk to that for a second as well? Yeah, definitely. I've always been someone... I was a very fit young girl. I would always be dancing, always doing sport. And then I kind of always thought that I knew my triggers and I knew what caused my anxiety and I knew why I was the way I was. And then it wasn't until this year that I started doing a lot more work on myself and really breaking it down that I've kind of come to understand that the reason I probably could never really, really get on top about my anxiety or really feel that I was talking about it to the full extent was because I wasn't willing to accept the body dysmorphia side of things. And I wasn't willing to accept that 
because of the way I view my body, that actually has a lot to do with my anxiety. And it would be things, for example, if I was going to a party, I would have anxiety, but I thought it was actually having to be around people. But in fact, it was me thinking about what they would think about me in this dress or what they would think about my body or whether I had changed. So the anxiety was actually manifesting from that. And then I've just come to kind of understand that I don't view my body in the best way and I do have bad days and I'm really trying to get on top of it and I've progressed so much in the last year. If you had asked me this question a year ago or even two or even when I was on Love Island, for instance, I was so unhealthy and so skinny and just it's not even the skinniness that was the problem. It it wouldn't have mattered what weight I was. I still didn't see what everybody else saw. And I would look in the mirror and I would see myself so differently, but then two hours later would love my body. So it just really depended on what kind of mood I was in. And it was, it was exhausting. It's an, and it still is, it's an ongoing battle of telling yourself every single day, your body is enough, you're enough. And I think I've just had to really look at my body this year differently in terms of this is the only body I'm going to get. This is, this is my home. Like I need to protect this now. So yeah, I've really tried to look at it differently this last year for sure. Taylor, what was the plan for your career before you did apply for Love Island? So I did a journalism and broadcasting degree here in Perth and then got my first job in radio, which was over in Byron and I loved it. I was obsessed with it. And then I obviously auditioned and got accepted onto Love Island and it kind of put all of that on the back front. (laughs) And then, yeah, I've just been doing life ever since, but I definitely want to get back into it because I just love the whole presenting and talking to people and finding out about people's lives and just investigating things further than what makes me die, I guess. I mean, I think anyone listening to this will say you're extremely well-spoken and eloquent. So I think you absolutely have a future in it. Speak to us about Love Island though. Like it would have been an absolutely huge decision to go on the show. I, for context, am a mad Love Island fan, like absolutely mad. I've loved the UK seasons for probably four years now. I'm obsessed with it. And when it came to Australia a few years ago, you chose to go on season one. And I think that's a risky decision because... I guess, who knows what the hell the show is going to be. It could be completely different between the UK and Australia. So what was behind your decision to say, yes, I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to go on this brand new show that is entirely different to anything else on Australian television right now? I think the first thing that kind of came to my mind was this is either going to be really good or ruin my life completely and I'll be moving to the Bahamas and you will never see me again. (laughs) And it was, it was such a risk. It was, okay, this is done so amazing in the UK. However, this could go so badly in Australia because I feel like with the Australian culture, we don't like, yes, there's things like Married at First Sight and there's drama, but we don't actually thrive off the same drama that the UK does. Their villain usually becomes the most popular person off the show. Whereas in Australia, we don't like the villains. I don't like the villains. I And that's what I was so scared of in terms of this could be really, really dramatized. But the thing that kind of sold me on going on the show was after speaking to producers and things like that, it's not like The Bachelor or Married at First Sight where there's extensive amount of time after filming where they can edit you and change things and create situations. This is a 
three hours after filming, this goes live on national TV. There's no there's no chance to kind of chop and change the situation. What they film that day is what goes on air that day. So that was really reassuring as well. And then also because it is a cash prize at the end and live voting, it has to look the way it is. They can't make someone look worse than they are. If you're a shit person, you're a shit person basically. So that's kind of what gave me that peace of mind when agreeing to going on. That is such an interesting point because you're right. I imagine with shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, they look at it far more retrospectively and go, okay, these are the arcs that we're going to tell. But with you, it's kind of like stories being told in real time. Did any part of that though stress you out in the sense that you're on this show and everyone's watching it as it's happening and you have no idea how they may be reacting to you? Yes and no. I think when you're in there, you actually completely forget that there is a world outside of this little bubble. You don't have your phone. You're put in a week lockdown prior to even going on the show. You are constantly poked and prodded. It's it's literally like someone's just watching over you and going boop, 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 and just poking you from above and telling you, setting up situations. So your mind is constantly active. You actually don't even have the time to care what the people in the outside world are thinking. And I think that if you went in there and you were thinking about the outside world, well, you probably weren't in there for the right reasons. So for me personally, I I never really thought, I think the first time I thought about anything to do with the outside world's opinion was, oh my God, my dad is not going to like this guy. (laughs) And it was like this light bulb moment of I'm getting off in a week and my dad is not going to be happy. (laughs) What surprised you most about the experience? I mean, the average person probably knows that for most reality shows you go into lockdown, you don't have your phone and that it's all pretty bizarre before you actually get on and start filming. But what took you by surprise when you were on Love Island and that filming commenced? Ooh, quite a lot of things. I think I didn't realise how attached and emotional you become to the people within your living situation in terms of I would always watch shows and go, oh, my God, why are you crying? You've known this person for four days. Get over yourself. But then now being in that situation, that four days actually feels like four months and you can have such a close connection and these people end up knowing more about you than your family and friends who you've known your entire life in those four days. So I do get that connection and I understand that now and when I watch TV now I I probably don't judge as critically. (laughs) You did touch on the man before who perhaps shall not be named. (laughs) It's kind of like Voldemort in this setting but you did end up with someone, Grant we will name him, and as the show ended and as you all came out it was announced that he had a girlfriend and a lot had happened and you two had won the show. What was that like? I can't imagine how confusing and heartbreaking that must have been to have that all play out publicly. Definitely. At the time, it seems like the end of the world. Now it seems like the biggest blessing in disguise. And I think my angels were definitely looking over me during that period of time. However, yeah, at the time it was a bitter pill to swallow purely because it was dealing with this whole new world that we've just stepped out into. It wasn't a it's not like, like I said before, The Bachelor, where they're actually sitting there watching what's going on. They watch the episodes. They're slowly understanding that they're getting more attraction and their followers are coming up by the second and things like that. Whereas I stepped out, got my phone back, and all of a sudden I have a 100,000 followers and I don't know what to do with these people and every single person has an opinion and every single person is invested in my relationship, which I know in my head has just gone to the gutters. And it was that guilt of, 
oh my God, these people have voted for me to win. And instead of actually dealing with a breakup and, oh my God, I'm heartbroken by this, it was more, I've let all these people down and do I just suck it up and be with this person because that's the right thing to do? Or do I just pretend to be with this person, even though I know he's got a girlfriend and that's what he wants to do. And it was just this overwhelming feeling of guilt to all these people that I know had supported me who don't even know me and that's probably comes down to me being a people pleaser and wanting to make sure everyone else was happy before I made sure I was so yeah I I did for a, a solid I think it was about 14 days or something where I was still in contact with him I was still hearing his side of the story I was still trying to put all the pieces together but the lies were just getting so extensive and it was just so overwhelming to the point where I was like this actually is just so wrong that I am trying to make something work for people I don't even know. And that's when I kind of went, no, this is, it's not healthy. It's not the right thing to do. I need to just, regardless of the outcome, do what is the best thing for me. So that's obviously when I called it and ended it and the whole world found out. (laughs) (laughs) How did you actually find out though, Taylor? Like how did you find out that he had a secret girlfriend? I mean, you two were very serious. You had told each other that you loved each other, hadn't you? You won the show. Everyone watched it, including Zara and I. And what happened then? Like did you leave the show, have your 24 hours of bliss and then get your phone back and go, hang on, who's this girl? Why is she speaking to the tabloids and what the hell is going on? It was literally we had a challenge I think it was four days before the grand final itself. And during that challenge, it was news headlines where we had to see whether something was true or false that was in this headline and it was released that he had a live-in girlfriend. (laughs) So not just a girlfriend, a live-in girlfriend. (laughs) And it came up as true, but he was denying it and was like, this is just some crazy person obviously making up a lie, which working in media, I kind of was like, you know what, I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt until I get out of here because this obviously can happen very often. And I kind of just let it go, but I had this gut feeling all along and I'm very intuitive. So I knew like you have a gut feeling, Taylor, don't just put this under the rug forever. So we got out and we had, I think about six hours before we had our live radio interviews and every single radio station within those five hours that we did those interviews, their first question was, and who is this person? And I won't name her, but obviously it was the girlfriend's name. And I just went, no radio station is going to continuously ask this question if there isn't facts to this. And I knew that they had to have had something. Maybe they spoke to her. Maybe there was photos and they were literally giving me any information I asked for. So the interview would finish and I would say to the radio presenter, so do you have pictures of this girl? Is it? And I was just finding out more and more and more. And then I came out of the interview and I just bluffed it. And I was like, I know everything. I've spoken to my parents. I know this. I know you have a girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. And then just got like this full story after bluffing myself and I found out everything and I was like, okay, cool. Well, what do we do now? (laughs) So the story was genuinely, he just went on the show for the money. Yeah. And it worked. Mm. Taylor, how do you get over heartbreak like that when it is so public? In the nicest way possible, that wasn't heartbreak to me. That was more embarrassment that was more, okay, this situation sucks and I fell for this. I think for me it was six weeks. Like that's not 
this is the person I'm going to marry. And yes, it felt like that being trapped in a little bubble at the time, but then coming out and realizing that I felt so much more heartbreak over past relationships that I looked at this as, you know what, you're nothing, like get away from me. And I wasn't going to give him that satisfaction either of even experiencing a heartbreak over someone like that. Like if you were that manipulative and need so much reassurance from the Australian public that you are amazing, well, then you're not even the person I would have fallen for anyway. So it was just, yeah, it wasn't heartbreak. So maybe you didn't have heartbreak from the relationship, but I imagine you needed to maybe kind of repair your relationship with yourself, right? Like to go through that publicly and feel that embarrassment that you spoke to or feel that shame or even just like, what the fuck? What are people going to think of me now? How do you build yourself back up after an experience like that? I think it definitely took me a long time because I probably didn't do the smartest decision and jumped straight into another relationship. And then that one went belly up too. (laughs) And it wasn't until that was kind of running its course and coming to the end that I realized I actually haven't dealt with anything in the last year. I haven't dealt with the emotions I'm having to now perhaps following me. I haven't dealt to the emotions I've had of this embarrassment of coming off a show and this guy having a girlfriend. And it was all these things that I hadn't dealt with. And I just band-aid by going, I'll just get another relationship. Everyone will stop talking about it. They'll talk about that. Happy days. But it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until probably would have been the end or halfway through last year, I went to America and visited my best friend who is just the most amazing human in the world. And she is very mindful and just looks at things so optimistically. And she was like, you haven't dealt with anything. Like, I'm just going to be completely blunt here. You need to just do you and you need to feel your emotions and you need to just stop trying to please other people. And it was that point where I I did. I stopped trying to please other people. I wasn't making YouTube videos that I don't care about. I wasn't going on and working with brands that I had no no connection with. And it was just that point of I lost myself. I think I came off the show with these very strong ideas and who I was And I was just like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And then somehow I just got lost along the way. And then it was when I kind of just had this alone time that I was like, why am I hanging out with these people? Why am I doing this? Why, 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 why? And it was after asking myself so many questions that I realized, yeah, I probably do need to just sort it out and go back and see the people that I taught to at Life Skills Australia who were trained psychologists and just actually deal with my emotions. And I'm a big believer in journaling and doing things that aren't your stereotypical go to a doctor and getting help that way. For instance, meditating and taking up yoga and just really finding that time to not suppress my emotion, which I had done straight after the show. So it was kind of a delayed response. (laughs) I find it really interesting that we're talking about this because there was a really interesting quote you wrote on Instagram at the end of last year. And you said at the time, I remember back to December, 2018, and what should have been a high point in my life was not. I was emotionally drained, far too skinny, malnourished, broken, grieving, and investing the remainder of my energy into the wrong people. Do you consider like the experience of reality TV, a bit of a tornado where you're lifted up so high that you almost always lose sense of who you are for a second? I think, yeah, you'd have to be, I always pride myself on, I will never lose who I am. And I was so strong. My friends would be like, you haven't lost who you are. We're so proud of you. And it was that kind of like, oh, I haven't, like, I'm so good. I can do this. I I don't know what other people are talking about. But then when you actually have that kind of you hit the ground a bit. You kind of hit the ground and go, 
I, to the rest of the world, probably didn't look like I lost who I was, but internally I definitely did because I think I knew who everyone wanted me to be and was just acting as that rather than acting as the person who had actually changed completely. And I had all these different things that I wanted to be talking about and all these different things that I wanted to be passionate about and I was passionate about, but I didn't want to change. So technically I wasn't talking about any of these things like mindfulness and sharing through my social media, my journey and my different things that I've overcome because I didn't want to be that person that had changed and everyone thought that I was just doing it because I now have a platform. So yes and no, I guess. Coming up after the break, why Taylor never felt smart enough, she says, to launch her own business. First, a word from today's sponsor. Your story in 2020 is such an interesting one because you went through all the Love Island stuff a few years ago. You processed it, you worked through it. And then coronavirus hit and the UK couldn't air their season of Love Island anymore. And so the UK solution was we're going to air season one of Love Island Australia. And all of a sudden you were back on screen to a whole new audience of people. You were getting a million views a night and your personal following grew by another 100,000 people in the space of six weeks. What does it feel like for that to happen where you go, okay, I worked through all this stuff and now I found myself right back in the thick of it again. Like you must be reliving your life from years ago to a whole bunch of new people who have just met you. So interesting you say that because I think right now it must be airing somewhere else because I always know when it's getting, it's like prime time in a different country because for the first two weeks that it's airing, I'm the most hated person in the world. (laughs) So the message has come through. You are so mean. You have no girl code. And I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. But then after the two weeks, the messages come through of, oh, my God, I misjudged you. I'm so sorry. I actually love you. And I've just been watching. I was honestly at dinner last night with my mum and my dad and my boyfriend And I was like, I just have to read you this message. And I read it out and it was like the most horribly spelt hate message you could ever get. And I had just written back with no, and I don't usually respond, but the ones that have so many spelling errors, I feel like it's my human duty just to tell them, if you're going to send me a hate message, at least spell your right. Like if you can't get that right, you're not going to get much of a hate towards me. So I I had just corrected all of their spelling and I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And my dad was like, don't respond to them, Taylor. I was like, okay, I'll stop being mature now. I've had my fun. But when it obviously went on in the UK, that was very different because like you said, it it was their primetime television. I got a whole lot of followers in a short amount of time. I was trying to deal with coronavirus. I just moved in with my boyfriend and I was like, oh my God, this is going to ruin my relationship. (laughs) And I remember I sat down and I said to him, look, I know you don't like being in the spotlight and I know like he's a footballer, but he's not one that will put his hand up to go do a press interview or or care whether he's on TV or in a photo. So I kind of just said to him, if your photos get dragged up in this and people start sending you messages, I really am sorry, but it's only going to last six weeks. So look on the bright side. And then we had a bit of a giggle about it and he's so like back, he didn't care at all. 
but it was just, yeah, funny being able to see it this time around because obviously when I came off the show, I, I just won. So all the messages were really quite supportive. But being able to see kind of those first two weeks where I wasn't very liked and being able to deal with that, I think it kind of just showed me how far I'd come because it honestly didn't even affect me this time around. Whereas I think if I had to be on a show like The Bachelor and watch it and live it, five months later or however long after and see it progressively go through those stages after just experiencing it, I think it would have taken a really big mental toll, whereas I'd already lived it, experienced it and had moved on. So it didn't really affect me that much. It was just kind of nice to be able to have this whole new community that I didn't have before. So I had to look at it as a positive, but obviously the messages have been like, oh, why aren't you with this person anymore? I was like, oh. (laughs) Let me tell you why. Taylor, 2020 was a bit of a clusterfuck of a year for almost everyone. And I think in particular, people with anxiety or mental illness. How did it look for you? The start of coronavirus was really hard. I was still living in Sydney. My partner lived in Melbourne. And I remember we just, I'd been over in Melbourne and it was kind of the whispers and the talk of there could be a lockdown. And we kind of were sitting there and I just went, well, do you, like I either go to Sydney and potentially don't see each other for as long as this lockdown goes on or I stay here and we potentially live together for as long as this goes on. So what do you want? My flight's booked for tonight. <laughs> it was like, no, I want you to stay. I don't want you to go. And the football had just been cancelled for that period of time because they obviously knew that we are going into lockdown and things like that. So I ended up staying in Melbourne, which was really hard at the start, living out of a suitcase and I'd only packed it to be there for five days. And it's not like you could just send someone over to your house at that point in time because people couldn't go anywhere. And I was just, yeah, really finding it hard to let go of control. I I love being in control. I love knowing what's happening in situations, planning days. And it was just, yeah, that kind of initial feeling of I have no control. And I've never felt homesick of Perth until then as well because it was always that, well, I can go home if I want to go home, whereas having that taken away from me and Perth completely shutting their borders, I I had these thoughts every single night of, well, what happens if something happens to my parents? What happens if something happens here? I can't get home. I can't do anything. And it was just this exhausting roller coaster, as I'm sure so many people with anxiety had, of the what ifs. And then I ended up speaking to this beautiful mindfulness coach and she said to me, well, how about we stop thinking about the what ifs and just focus on the right now? She's like, you could come up with a thousand what ifs, but they're probably not even going to happen. And she was like, and you're coming up with a thousand plans to those what ifs that you're forgetting to actually just get up and have breakfast. And I was like, oh, that's true. She's like, so how about we just focus on what do I want for breakfast? <laughs> I was like, okay. So it was kind of just taking that back pedal of things that I never really thought about in terms of I would just get up and that would just be a cycle and I would do each day and run along and all of a sudden it'd be the end of the day. Whereas now I had time to wake up and be like, hmm, do I want toast for breakfast or do I want wheat figs? And it was that that really simple kind of reminder of just be present, just be mindful, really think about the decisions you are making throughout this day. And you'll probably find that your day will be less stressful and you'll actually feel like you achieve things because you made that decision this morning of what you wanted for breakfast. That wasn't someone making that for you. And it kind of gave me that control back a lot. And that's something that I've carried 
now past coronavirus as well and just making sure that I keep on top of making decisions for me rather than just constantly thinking about the what ifs. I mean, we are obviously Melbournians and the AFL is absolutely huge here. I'm guessing it would have been quite difficult this year. Your partner did go up to the Queensland AFL hub for months at a time. And that's great. Like great that he could work. Great that the industry could get back on its feet. Great that he could do what he loves. But the downside of that is that you get left. Like you get absolutely ditched. And it's an unfortunate story, but the partners of AFL players alongside a lot of other Australians put up with a lot for their partners to return back to work in 2020. And and I mean, I'm guessing those with kids would have had it even tougher, but that doesn't mean that you didn't go through loneliness and isolation too. You lived by yourself for months at a time. I think the thing for me was that initial, I remember I was literally sitting next to him when the Zoom meeting was happening and they were getting told the information of, okay, you're, you're going to go into a hub. It's only going to be for four weeks. And I was sitting there and I could feel the tears just like forming in my eyes but then I was could hear the other players giving responses and talking and it was they were talking it out via a zoom call and all I could think was I don't have kids I'm not married to him I don't have kids I'm not going to be stuck here with three children no family like this is me I am fine I will be fine And I just had to keep reminding myself that this situation is so much harder for other people right now in the AFL. And yes, you're entitled to your emotion, but you're also entitled to understand that you are not the centre of attention right now. There are people that are going to be doing this a lot worse than you. And I was really lucky. I have some amazing friends now within the partners of Richmond and we all just kind of banded together and obviously you could have I think it was up to five people in a house at this point when it first went the AFL lockdown so we would just kind of look after each other go have dinners together at the house or watch the games together I think it was only two games before we went into a full lockdown anyway so we got to have the the two weeks and make the most of that and kind of all band together and then it became apparent that we were going to go into a full proper lockdown and that's when the anxiety really hit me of oh my gosh now I want kids to be stuck with and I want people to talk to and (laughs) this is gonna be hard (laughs) because I felt that fear of I'm gonna be stuck here just with my thoughts in this house and we have our beautiful dog Charlie and I was just like latching onto him treating him like an actual human and I would have conversations with him and talk to him but yeah it, it was kind of It was scary and it was emotional and it was a lot, but I always knew at the end of the day that there are people doing this way, way harder than I am right now and I just need to focus on that. And at the end of the day, I was still able to work, Nathan was still able to work and we were still able to have a safe roof to sleep under and have food and I could exercise within the house and we were healthy and I just focused on that. And I was so appreciative of that. And I think that really got me through as well. Taylor, I want to ask you about this new business of yours. You did write on Instagram at the end of last year. I always said I will never start a business. And deep down, I knew it was because I didn't feel like I was smart enough or good enough. And I was petrified of failing. Can you talk to us about that sentiment, that idea of like, I will never start a business? Because I feel like I probably used to say the same thing. I think for me, the kind of reason I always thought I wouldn't start a business, like I said in that quote, was I just didn't think that I could do it. 
And that would have stemmed from I wasn't the most academic kid at school and I always struggled and I had a lot of learning disabilities and I would act out. And up until year 10, I was going to drop out and be a hairdresser. I was like, I do not need school. Don't you tell me to do my homework. And then year 10 here and I end up, my mum owns a salon and I worked in her salon over Christmas and realised, oh, my God, I am not going to become a hairdresser in year 10. This is actual work and I'm not doing that. So I continued on with school and I did my ATAR and got my score and it was hard. Like I cried nearly every night coming home from school. I really had to work for it. So then getting through uni and just getting through that and it was kind of that feeling of I am never doing anything like this again. Where I have to use my brain, it is just not going to happen again (laughs) because it felt like it was just so much harder, especially dealing with anxiety on top of that. And then I watched my partner and his best friend start a business and they have a vintage clothing business and I just saw how much love and drive and passion they put into this and I was helping run it while they were in the hub. And I was like, hold on a minute. I can do this. (laughs) And I felt like I was actually in control of something that I just never thought I would be able to be in control of. And then I went into the AFL hub with some of the partners and I was looking at these girls and they were obviously working out at the hub and I'd made a close little friendship group when I was in there. And I was just so in awe by how much they had their shit together And I was like, they are just bosses. They are running like their job from literally a hub in a lockdown. And there was women in there who had their own businesses that they were running. They were on Zoom calls and I was just sitting there going, I want to be you. (laughs) And I just had this this drive after being in the quarantine and everyone in there was so supportive. And I'd always known that I wanted to create something to help other people. And I was actually, funny enough, writing a book at the time because I wanted to create a book that would help people. But I just, I couldn't, I still am like working on it and trying to figure out what I want it to actually be. I've started it a thousand times. But then I thought, well, what is something that I use every single day that I can help people with right now? And that was the affirmations. And I started sharing them as quotes through my Instagram caption. And I would put them up. And then when I would miss a a day or a week, I would get inboxes and people were saying, we haven't got our affirmations this week. And I started to realize that these affirmations weren't just for me. They were also for other people and they were helping other people in quick time. And I thought, okay, well, I want to share more of this and I want to do more of this and I want it to be more accessible for people. And I started obviously with the idea of an affirmation deck and started creating them and talking to people within the hub and saying to the girls, which color do you like best? And these colors like point of a different. And they'd be like, ah, that one. And I'd be like, oh, actually, I like this one. So I'd continue with the one I like. So it was probably a nightmare. But we got through it in the end. And I obviously came back to Perth and then had to do another two-week quarantine here in Perth. So I'm the quarantine king and queen. And I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep working on this because I kind of had that feeling of maybe it'll just be something I'm doing because I'm bored. But then I got back into this quarantine in Perth and I was like, no, I am going to continue with this. I have friends over here who are graphic designers and I gave them all my ideas and I was like, let's make this an actual thing. And we turned it around so fast. My partner did help me with my website, so I will give I'm very bad with technology, but we got there eventually and it's been really exciting and 
probably the best thing to come out of 2020 so far. What have you learned about yourself through launching Angel Energy? That I'm more capable than I initially gave myself credit for and that I can I can be a bigger voice than I thought I was in terms of just because I'm maybe not preaching all of this every single day on my social media, by having a business like this, I'm preaching it every single day without even realising I'm preaching it now. So it's been really humbling knowing that I have put sort of my my platform to good use in a way. Taylor, one question we always love ending with with everyone is how do you define success with all of this in mind? I had a moment this year, I was lying in bed next to my partner and we had this discussion of, it was kind of coming around to contract renewal and obviously there's money negotiations around that. And I had a few things that were coming up that were contracts and things like that. And I said to him, I'm just going to be completely honest with you because he wanted my opinion with contracts and everything towards that situation. I said, for me sitting here right now, I look at the fact that we have just been with 10 of our best friends for dinner. And I look at that and go, that for me is so much more happiness than any job will ever be. So if, if you want to move for your work or you want to move for money or your career and that's what's going to make you happy, then that's your that's your definition of success. However, my definition of success is being able to sit around a table with my friends and family and know that I am there for them and they are there for me. And I have successfully done my job of being a good human in their life and he was just like and that's why we're together because that's my exact definition of success so there we go (laughs) I love that so much Taylor you are a genuine delight we are so grateful that you gave us your time and what an interview to kick off 2021 with fingers crossed guys it is going to be a better year like I have just got feelings I've got good vibes I'm putting out into the universe (laughs) Taylor you need to give me an affirmation for this because I'm convinced 2021 will be better 2021 will be better I'll leave with the affirmation that regardless of what happened in 2020 we can make 2021 whatever we want it to be oh how wise (laughs) Taylor thank you so so much thank you girls Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Taylor Demir. For more from Taylor, follow her on Instagram at taylor.demir. If you enjoyed this episode, may we also recommend you listen to our In Conversation chats with Bella Varelis and Brooke Blurton. I will pop the links to both of those chats in our show notes. As for us, if this is your first time listening to Shameless, we are an independent pop culture podcast. We put out episodes every Monday and Thursday and have a monthly book club episode too. If you'd like to keep up to date with us, please click the follow button on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. That is all from us, guys. We'll be back in your ears on Thursday with the wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through 
It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.